Hello, and welcome to the NKD podcast. I'm Rachel Kalisa, the Business Development Manager at NKD, and I'll be hosting this conversation with our wonderful guest today. NKD is an employee engagement agency, um, and we support all things employee engagement um, for many companies across the globe. Uh, but we understand the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we champion this and we try to amplify this with all of the organizations we work for. Um, and we're hoping that this conversation today can spark something new within you uh, that you can go ahead and share with your leaders and with your teams. So let's introduce our wonderful guest. We have Rob Neal here with us today. Uh, OBE, we must make sure we have the right accolades. Um, and you are um, the director at Crystal Alliance. So uh, welcome. You have quite the CV. <laughs> uh, so we'd love to delve into it, but um, you know, you spent 38 years in the civil service, um, and that was before you then ventured off to do your own consultancy. And little birdie tells me you wrote a book this year, and uh, so it'd be great to hear a bit more about your journey and how you managed to get to this point. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for all of that, and thanks for having me. You're it's welcome. wonderful to be here. Um, Wow, yeah, when you hear those um, milestones, you hear those digits, you hear the fact that uh, for the first time I've had some work published. It's a co-written book, if I start with that. Um, it's called The Key to Inclusion. Um, it's out of the wonderful stable that is included.com. Uh, it's edited by the CEO there, Steve Frost. He's the um, former lead on diversity and inclusion for the 2012 Olympics. Uh, no less, and he's got a wonderful team of which I'm a part, and he invited me along with four others to um, explore the, 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 the prospect of bringing together our thoughts, collective thoughts, on what would be the key or the keys to inclusion. And um, through those early conversations, just over a year ago now, um, I emerged as the, with the pen in my hand around cultural intelligence. And if this podcast was to segue into talks about cultural intelligence and CQ, I would be splashing around like a <laughs> pig in muck um, to have that conversation. But um, uh, if I attach my response to your question around my time in the civil service, uh, yes, it was almost four decades, um, closer to four than three, uh, a total of 38 years. Uh, I was aiming for four, four decades, but circumstances just came about, which led to me naturally letting go of what I call my beloved civil service. So I, I enjoyed every year there. There were moments that were turbulent, but only moments. I enjoyed my time more than I can express in a podcast because it left me with so much. I joined at such a young age, um, but I now steer at 60. I'm, I'm 58 years old. I know it's- You look I'm, amazing. Isn't it? It's the lighting. It's the lighting <laughs> around this place. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm 58 now with as much energy as I've ever had around the issues of um, equality or equity, diversity and inclusion, and I want to uh, work with and support organisations that are serious mm -hmm. about being more inclusive. And, you know, if I've picked up anything along the way, if I enjoy any kind of privilege, it is the privilege at this time of my life to be working with those that I want and choose to work with. Um, and that's what I'm exercising, it's that privilege. Yeah, which is wonderful. Um, and you, you mentioned um, about the sort of the cultural 
education side, um, which I think is almost the this next step after we've gotten over the initial hurdle of you know, hello, we need to get you know a diverse array of talent in the door. Mm. Um, you know, moving on then to to equity and making sure that you are you know catering to different people and mm. um, different needs mm. and then inclusion making people feel welcome mm. um, at the table and it's quite the journey but then that extra layer is that cultural piece well i love the way you put that because the cultural education i mean some people talk about cultural awareness cultural competence you've introduced that thought cultural education it's all in the ballpark and i think what cultural intelligence offers us cq is a researched uh, developmental uh, not remedial developmental tool that kind of almost extends the the the, the legacy of of iq and eq yes. you know intelligent quotient and emotional intelligence to de- to then give us this wonderful playground that we can all be a part of where we actually understand not just sympathize but empathize with our wonderful differences mm. and that which we have in common yes because too often i think the agenda ends up focusing on the difference, but in a very aggressive way, rather than appreciating that difference is good and that we have so many things in common. Yes. Our shared hopes and aspirations as human beings. Yes. And that's what I love about cultural intelligence. Yeah, and it's wonderful because you're right, it's that you know understanding that we actually share a lot more mm. um, than we thought. And it was my colleague that said to me, you know, I'm reading this book, I think you'd find it interesting. Um, she's Portuguese and she mm. introduced me to the culture map. Ah, yes. yeah. And that discusses, you know, cultural differences in the workplace and yeah. how it shows up. Yeah. And actually we both shared that, you know, in our cultures, you know, different as they are, actually this rule around waiting for someone to finish speaking before you contribute, we have in common Um, and we shared you know the challenges that come up as a result of that cultural Mm. difference and you know being in spaces where the dominant majority is completely different to to what you um, were raised by. Something you've just said reminds me actually of 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 a couple of things said by uh, Mayor Angelou you know the the famous she's still with us in so many ways but sadly no longer uh, alive but Mayor Angelou uh, you know and still I ride she talks about the fact that we are far more alike than we are unalike. And she also talks about um, the precious um, gift of rhythm Hmm. and rhythm in conversation. You've just alluded to it, you know, by waiting for that pause or waiting for that moment, that invitation to then contribute. And she she emphasises the importance of rhythm in all that we do. And I I love her for that. And I was was truly blessed to be able to not just uh, see her perform, but meet her when she performed. I know. Oh it's, my I know, goodness. I know, I, I, I still have to pinch myself. I still have to, but it was at the Shaw Theatre, not uh, a million miles from where we are right now recording this podcast. And she, wow. she sang, she danced, and then she, um, she was kind enough to, I'm talking about handshake, but that, you know, that's enough. I've, yeah. I've, I've, shaked, I've shaked hands with, with Mayor Angelou. Yeah. That's enough for me. That's incredible. And still I rise. <laughs> I love that. Mm. Um, so poignant and so beautiful. So what is the key to inclusion? It's the title of your book. It's the title of the book. Yeah. So yeah. what, you know, throughout your experience, um, I'm sure you've had many experiences. Mm. What, what was the key? I think the key, you know, if you're asking me personally, 
Um, cultural intelligence will always be in the mix. That's my contribution to the book. And so yes. I would say that, wouldn't I? Uh, but there are four other fantastic writers who have contributed to this offering, this gift. And it is, and I would say this, it is a fantastic book. But I think what, what each of the contributions have in common is this, um, and it's quite popular now, but, uh, and some, some may take it in another direction, but it is about this feeling of safety in the workplace. Yes. Of, of what some term psychological safety, um, of what people talk about in having safe spaces. And there are some fantastic people doing work in this space to help us uh, create, curate, and actually establish safe spaces in the workplace. Yeah. I like to extend the notion of safe space to talk about gracious spaces. Hmm. Um, as someone who happens to walk in faith, I do like reaching for those words that talk about spirit yes. and talk about the humanity of what we do. Uh, we're none of us machines. Uh, at, at times we may want to feel as though we are churning work out. Mm. But I think when we, uh, when we look at our, our ways of leading that include compassion, leave room and invite love into the conversation, I think so much more becomes possible and not least of which is the, is the creation of safe spaces. That those spaces that we are free from chastisement, we can, we can run with an idea, even if it's completely left field and wacky, <laughs> with knowing that there's no telling off coming at the end of it if it doesn't work. Yes. Because of course it might work, yeah. or it might lead to something that works. And so um, if history teaches us anything is that the greatest ideas often come from left field that, that weren't in our range of thinking when we started out. But, but by trying it, just trying it, we know that something else is possible at the other end. And if we can do better at that, if we can do more of that, I think we'll create more efficient and just better workplaces, more engaged employees in the workforce. And that's what we're after, I think. Yeah, and it's, it's about, as you mentioned, bringing that humanity to work. Mm. I think, you know, in times past, I, I speak to my parents you know, some of my older cousins and they talk about a workforce that was just, you know, you don't bring your humanity to work. Yeah. You're just kind of a body. You're mm. there to do a job. Mm. You're a number. Um, you're a number. Mm. Um, and I feel like I experienced that as well. So it's mm. not something that completely disappeared yeah. as I got into the workforce. But I'm realizing more now people are having this conversation. Yeah. You know, who are you? Yeah. And, you know, there's this notion of bringing your full self to work mm. but some people don't want to do that yeah. so it's about bringing the self that you want to present Absolutely. that's still authentic to you yeah. yeah but have you ever had moments where you felt you struggled to bring your full self or your you know humanity into the workplace and mm -hmm. how did you navigate that particularly as you you know you champion inclusion sure um but did you find that you were having these conversations but also still having to face yeah. challenges yeah Sure, thanks, Rachel. I, I mean, it's a great question because it, it has me focus and it reminds me of some of the turbulence I, I went through um, growing up in the civil service. But certainly back then, you know, four decades ago, there wasn't the kind of um, encouragement to even, or, or even gentle invitation to bring your authentic self into work anyway. No. You know, however, whatever amount of that you wanted to bring in, it was more about you come to work to work. 
you literally the mantra Rachel at the time was you leave your problems at the door oh definitely you know, that was the mantra <laughs> and you know I can remember it very well I can I only have to look at my scars mm. to to remind myself that I went through that um I can remember wrestling with it I can remember being challenged by it I can remember you know wanting to and to this day still signing my emails off with two words stay strong and being told by older and more senior, more experienced civil servants to stop that. Hmm. You won't get on if you do that. I can remember Rachel being, and still am, quite a demonstrative soul. You know, I love a hug. Um, I'm quite tactile. I'm a and, <laughs> You know, and for me, it doesn't take much of an introduction for me to either um, uh, end that introduction with or require of that introduction a hug. And I was told that that wasn't becoming of a civil servant. Now, there are obvious reasons for that. And, you know, post-COVID even, we need to be somewhat sensitive to how uh, people prefer to be in their space. Yes. But I'm just letting you know what my preferences are mm. and how I um, wrestled with some of that in my life and my journey as a civil servant. But if you extend and extrapolate some of that, so the language we use... Um, that the, the, there were times when I literally had to um, think about how I was communicating myself, whether it be by letter, as it was early days, or indeed by email that was to follow. Um, I had to think about how I dressed going into work. And not yes. just because I was in court, uh, and I was a court clerk for nearly five years, but that came with its own set of rules, and you understood those rules. But actually... Um, whether you needed to wear a tie every day as, as, a, as, a, as a man in the office. Um, I, I, I was amongst the first to actually um, loosen the tie and then get rid of the tie um, by demonstrating it, it really added nothing to yeah. one's performance <laughs> at all. Um, so that was a turning point. Yeah. But you know, there were, there were many of those subtle but quite significant examples along the way yes. in order to bring my authentic or what I wanted to bring into the workplace. And so... Um, your question reminds me of those moments yeah. uh, and those those pieces of, of turbulence along the way. And they were very significant. I've had my own experiences as well. And you think, I mean, I joined the workforce in the, you know, late 2000s. Okay, okay. <laughs> Do the math. Do uh, the yeah, math, I'm like, like, <laughs> I am an 80s baby, very late 80s. Yeah. Um, and so I have an experience of being raised in the 90s and, you know, what that looked like and observing my parents go to work and how, you know, they came back drained from work because yeah. they had to do that self-editing all, all the time. time. All the That's time. Self-policing, it's mm. like, it's unsaid, but you know the rules. They're very clear, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and if you step out of line, you know, you'll be quickly reminded. Um, and that's not just for myself as a, as a black woman, but I think, you know, there were very many restrictions that mm. now we'd probably laugh at, you know. Yeah. Um, tattoos, for example, when I was first entering the workplace, you couldn't have tattoos. Mm. It was seen as, you know, you probably a bit of a <laughs> problematic yeah, person, a bit wayward, a bit wayward mm. that's the word, thank mm. you. Um, and you know, when I had these conversations with my sister who is, you know, in her mid-twenties now, um, and I say, this is what my life was like, you know, and she's like, it's so old school, yeah. you know, and she'll, she'll look at things and be like, I can't imagine not being able to bring myself to work or not addressing this or, you know, feeling like I have to self-edit. Mm. Um, and I'm finding that, you know, with each generation, it gets better and better. Yeah, 
I think that's right. I think yeah. that's part, that's a measure of the progress. I mean, self-editing, code switching, yes. covering, you know, all of these kind of almost oppressive winds of turbulence that come your way. And to add to some of the examples I think we're both uncovering, I can remember uh, in terms of internal promotions or, or at least elevation and going for a job of your choosing, that, that one of the things you had to build was a narrative that centred self and spoke about what I did in a given situation. Yes. And I found that very difficult. I found it difficult because that's not how I was grown. Yes. You know, that, I found that difficult because that's not how I grew up. I grew up uh, out of necessity often, but with a very we culture, mm. with a very collective, collaborative way of doing things. Yes. I, to this day, I will tell anyone who wants to listen, I am nothing without my mother, without my partner, without my uh, extended family, without my dear friends who remain a part of this critical network that keep me going. Yes. So when I talk about what the team I'm a part of achieved, I talk about what we did. Yes. And I, I, I can tell you, I flunked a couple of my promotion boards because <laughs> in, in one occasion, they literally stopped the interview and they said, Rob, Rob, we're asking you what you did. Yes. We want to hear what you did, not what your team did, what you did. And if you can't answer these questions, Rob, we're going to have to stop the interview. I, I think I knew I wasn't going to get that job. <laughs> but, you know, and uh, it was upsetting then. I laugh at it now mm. and we can laugh at it now. But it was a real, it was a real issue, Rachel. Yeah. How do you convert the we thought, the collaborative way in which you've grown up into this I almost, and it is, in my experience, very Eurocentric. Yeah. You know, I came, I saw, I conquered. Yes. Whereas of the earth and Ubuntu, I see you. Mm. And it's this collective approach that many of us who have been othered have grown up with. Yes. And I think this is an important issue, particularly when you're looking at some of the establishment, certainly here in the UK, and it comes no, there's no clearer example of it than the mm. civil service. Yes. No, no clearer example. Yes. Maybe the police, but yes. certainly the civil service. And it's, it's interesting that you say that because I am Ugandan. Okay. I was born in Uganda. I came mm. here in 1990. Um, so I was a few months old. Um, but the history and heritage of, you know, people of East African descent are, mm. they have, they're from the Bantu tribe. Yeah. And Bantu means people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's still in my language means people. Mm. And in many languages in East and South Africa, yeah. that word you hear and you think people, you think a collective. That's right. And, That's right. and I found right. it very challenging, mm. Mm. you know, having to do, you know, be like, this is who I am and this self-promotion. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I had to learn that. Mm. Um, and I found that I had to almost assimilate into, into that kind of way of thinking. And I think there is a benefit to it, but also, you know... If you survive it. If you survive if it. If you survive it spiritually and mentally. Yes. W.E.B. Dubois, yes. in his book, The Souls of Black Folk, he talks about um, this duality. Yes. This, this almost split personality. Because one of the things I, I know and sense you and I have in common, Rachel, um, beyond the first letter of our first name, but what <laughs> we have in common is that we both want to be successful in the workplace... Yes. But we also want to be true to our community. Yes. And Dubois talks about it in The Soul of Blackfoot. He says that it's the, this duality 
that often threatens to, I think the words he uses, tear us asunder mm -hmm. if we are not able to reconcile it and understand it. I mean, I think Malcolm X talks about it more um, directly when he talks about the field and the words of the time, the field Negro and the house Negro, mm. and the kind of tension between, you know, serving the master yes. and being comfortable with that and being out in the field and having to, you know, in days of enslavement when, when it was, I mean, it was rough, you know, that if the master got sick, you'd be praying the master would die. Yeah. Whereas the, the house Negro would be, are we sick boss? Are we yeah. sick? Yeah. You know, th th their proximity Yes. To the comfort that that gave them meant that they were invested in that in that source. Yes. Whereas if you worked in the field, um, you know you'd be you'd be praying the reset button got pressed, you know, <laughs> because it gave you a chance of, of it's liberty. True. It's true, and it's constantly sort of balancing mm. the two, absolutely, and also you know negotiating. In this moment, do I need to be the I or yeah. do I need to be the we? So true. You know, and it's really, so and I find that I've sort of fine-tuned that to mm. a point where I'm comfortable. Yeah. Where I feel like, okay, yes, I'm doing this. It's yeah. outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's I prefer to be the we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some situations yeah. call for call for the I. Yeah. But have there been you know any examples or moments where you were able to fully you know be your true self? Um, you know, do you have any examples of any experiences where you had that aha moment and said, you know what, in this moment, this is the full manifestation of me as an individual? Mm, I, I'm, I'm bound to say, you know, with, with, with almost goosebumps coming through with the question, that there have been far more of those moments yeah. than there have been of the others I've described. Far more, far more. Why? I, I guess because there's something about my... Um, Jamaican spirit mm. that really, you know, rebels against the kind of confinement, the kind of in, enslavement that in many ways that, that some aspects of working in a place like the civil service will, will, will place on people who are perceived as different. Mm. And so whether it be, you know, I can remember the first time just on about 12 years into my career, where an opportunity uh, arose for me to go on a residential uh, course for uh, black managers in the civil service. It was called Black Managers in the Public Sector. It was, it was um, uh, put on at the Civil Service College. It was deemed quite a progressive offering. It was put under the heading of Positive Action Training, PAT for short. And on day one of a five-day residential course, we had an after-dinner speaker and her name, is Nestlin Watson Drouet. She runs something today called Beacon International Development. Um, she happens to be a Jamaican also, so I think there was some affinity there that kind of clicked for me. Yeah. But she came on at the end of a day where we kind of got to know each other. We'd done some introductions. We had some fun and games. So we were kind of, kind of tired, but not. At day one, meeting some friends. I'm a roaring extrovert, so for me, I just love a room that's full of people because that's yeah. where I get my energy. Um, and um, she came on and she talked about um, identifying proactively a percentage of your income to be spent on self-development. I, I had never thought about this before, hmm. that I needed to invest in myself. I mean, I was earning my salary and I was paying my way, but to then invest back in myself, whether it be, you know, nowadays you can enroll in so many things, but, you know, back in the day we're talking about books and going out and yeah. I, I didn't consciously think about it. She also talked about uh, standing in your power. 
just just standing in your power, Rob, um, and and identifying what it is about your flow that feeds that. Yes. How can you encourage that, inspire that, um, increase your appetite around all of those things? Uh, and she also talked about you know having the DJ play your tune, <laughs> and she broke it down. And honestly, I love Jewel, that. Honestly, we all loved it, Rachel. I mean, honestly, it was like. She really got us in the into the flow. She got us getting really in touch, you know, with who we are, what what where our preferences are, and reminding us that your preferences are that they yes. are a preference. It does not mean you're not capable of those other things. Um, I mean, I must admit, even I now I still struggle being on my own. But, but you know, that's because <laughs> I'm just a ridiculous extrovert. You're on the extreme scale. I am on, on the extreme the MBTI. scale. MBTI. I am absolutely. <laughs> I think 34.2 on my that first indicator, extrovert, yes. introvert. Yeah. Um, but 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 ultimately, knowing that we have the dexterity, it's a bit like Daniel Kahneman in, in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Mm -hmm. it, it, whether we have a preference for thinking fast or for thinking slow, the real secret that he reveals is that we are capable of both. Yes. And that's what Nestlin uh, Watson-Drouet, that's what she did for me. And we've, I'm happy to say um, that we've remained friends ever since. I love that. It's almost like, you know, we all assume as soon as we're done with education, that's when the learning stops. Mm. But I learned very quickly that it really doesn't. No. It's kind of like the springboard yeah. for the yeah. education of life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? absolutely. As I get older, I realise more and more how much I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> which is a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Speaking of education, you mm. did go into the mm. Department of Education. I did, I did. Um, you know, so you understand the value of educating our young people mm -hmm. do you feel that the education system is is has improved mm. and is creating almost like the the breeding ground for for young people who are able to bring themselves you know to whatever space they are presented mm. with um and do you feel that there's something more we can do um, you know, because we have, you know, 10,000 black interns and yeah. the, you know, Amos bursary. Do you feel that those organizations, you know, are doing most of the legwork? Yeah. Um, or do you feel that, you know, education as a whole in this country is also supporting the great work that those organizations do? Yeah, great, great set of questions. I spent uh, two years at the Department for Education. I came from the Ministry of Justice, mm. 80, at the time, 85,000 people, into an organization of 6,000 people. Right. So very, very different very. In size, very different. Enter stage left, uh, Department for Education, um, picking up a role around cultural transformation, so literally like a pig in muck, setting about my work, um, able to send a single email to all staff, a very progressive permanent secretary, that's equivalent of CEO at the time, Jonathan Slater, who welcomed an opportunity to do work that would uh, be more transparent, that would do work that was more, therefore more accessible to all staff. We, we focused our attention on delivering, on, uh, delivering racial equity, and we went knocking at the door of the Secretary of State to uh, answer the question, the call for a mandatory inclusion of black history in the national curriculum. We have um, the, the Holocaust in the national curriculum, quite rightly. Yes. But we don't have the history of black people 
and uh, whether you whether you want to start at African enslavement or you want to go uh, before that period to to give people an appreciation that it didn't start with that yes. there was something before and that you know that those who who built vessels and stole human beings from Africa and took them elsewhere they didn't steal slaves they stole professors and yes. doctors and and technicians and actors and singers and performers and artists and sports that's what they stole yes and they stole them yeah and they stole them because they could yeah now we wanted that in the national curriculum and i say wanted because if you're up to speed with what's happened in education and i'm not denying some of the improvements that have been made i don't want to skip past that but the reality is that there is so much more to do yes my disclaimer is out there only two years spent but i worked I worked hard. I worked at the at the heart of what needed doing as a priority to deliver on racial equality, and I worked with a progressive permanent secretary, the head of the admin office. But what we came across was a very obstructing and a very um, uh, denying force in the Secretary of State at the time. Uh, 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 Gavin Williamson uh, is his name. No longer there, of course, and moved on. And and in part because of his. Uh, apparent stubbornness to be more progressive and to be more welcoming of of modern Britain and diverse Britain and multicultural Britain yes to actually give an opportunity to our young so when we talk about some of the initiatives that are in the air um, whether it's you know the Amos bursary itself whether it's the reach society doing the work it does to connect with young people and to offer them a runway to be their very best what I acknowledge is that they're very often plugging a gap that should be provided by the education system, yes. without doubt. Yes. We all pay into that system. The maths are there for us to follow through if we want to do that. Yeah. And there is more that that system should be doing for our young people. Um, it, I won't go as far as saying it's letting young people down because we have amazing stars uh, in, those, in, those, in those communities. We have amazing young, talented people colorful wonderful vibrant people who are making sense of it yes and so they're not let down because they're making sense of it but there are too many of our young people that are forgotten that are left behind that are not given an opportunity to learn the truth of our past yes which is so important in terms of trajectory to the future you know i think it was marcus mcgay Gar marcus messiah garvey that said uh, a, a people without a knowledge of their past or history, is like a tree without roots. Hmm. Very powerful. And it's so powerful. And if we really follow that through and begin to understand the importance of teaching truth to our young people so that they can take that with them on their journey, then the education system has a number of corners to turn. I love that. And I could probably go on for ages. Mm. <laughs> Um, the education system, you yeah. know, I, you know, there's something that you said, making sense of, of, of you know, whatever institution you fall into. And yeah. I had to make sense mm. Mm. <laughs> of a lot of my, my journey um, in terms of education. Um, by the time I got to university, I went to a Russell Group Uni. Mm -hmm. I went to uh, Nottingham University. Okay. Um, and I had to almost re-educate myself mm. because I didn't have a lot of these organizations that are around at the moment. Um, you know, I had a good support network, but I think a lot of my journey had to be quite internal 
Um, and I think in my second year of university, I went back to Uganda yeah. for about six weeks where my uncle spent a lot of time with me teaching me about where I came from. Mm. And that's where a lot of you know my strength and my power came from because I had come to this country, I joined a system that my parents had no idea about. Mm. Um, and the education system at the time was it was completely different to you know what is being taught at the moment mm -hmm. so you can only imagine i couldn't really find my sense of self in the education system mm. as great as you know university was i still had to find myself and and it's that history part um that i almost wish you know someone had told me way before i got to university because by then you're almost like in the thick of it absolutely <laughs> you know the die has been cast hasn't it yes. and and Again, we can make the, the comparison and we can extrapolate across the different, you said, you know, whichever organisation you find yourself in, but we, we've kind of focused our attention just now on education and quite rightly. But if you were to switch and look at policing or look at justice or look at housing or look at health, those same challenges yeah. are there. Those same challenges going right back to what we said at the beginning about cultural education, about what well, I talk about cultural intelligence. I can remember a time when that was the only quotient in town. Yes. We we hired, we fired based on IQ. Yes. Oh, well, we had different tools and tests for it, but in essence, we were hiring and firing on IQ. Yes. And it was the it was the wisdom of the day. It was the understood gauge by which we decided whether someone was good enough for the job or not. Then later on, we saw hang on a minute, it's not all about brain power. Yeah. It's also about what the heart says. And if I can't explain how I feel about something, by now we've created these, you know, almost brains on sticks. Yeah. You know, these people who, they know what to do and they're going to get it done, but there's a whole of people are sick through stress <laughs> because they were almost bullied into doing the work. It's true. And so within my career, I saw that about turn. It's not, it's not all about what you do. Yeah. It's also about how you do it. Yes. There's no point in getting the work done if you're going to cause people to be off work with stress. Yes. And so dealing with all of that was the arrival of Daniel Goldman talks about it in his book, Emotional Intelligence. Fantastic um, addition to the quotient arena. Yes. For me, the bit that completes the set, the bit that we really need to now take on and up is that cultural intelligence. Yes. Because it's great that we've got the brain power. It's great that we know what the heart says. That's all about me in a way but what about you yeah what about uganda yeah what about what your parents would have lived through and gone through um what about the caribbean and the west indies what about yes. parts of europe what about the americas what can we know about each other's culture and cultures of organizations that allows us to make wiser decisions in how we provide for that yeah that for me is the secret sauce. Yeah, I love that. That's the that. missing piece. <laughs> that. That's and the key. We're ready. Yeah. It's the key to inclusion. I love that. Head, heart, whilst holding each other's hands. That's right. That's it. That's it. I love that. So, if inclusion, well, we can include diversity and equity too, but if they could be described or imagined as a colour, food, a sound, what would that be for you? Oh, wow. Um, wow. Words that are popping into my mind are words like myriad, mosaic, 
um, collage. Yes. You know, these words that kind of, what I hope they convey is this kind of collection, multiple layered um, variety of, diversity of difference. Yes. It's like, I don't know, it's like, it's like a rose in a poppy field, but still at home and giving us this wonderful picture. Individuals able and wanting to bring as much of the, their self that they want to bring into the workplace and that being welcomed and encouraged and promoted. And I don't just mean by, by title or badge or pips on the shoulder. I mean promoted by having access to, by being a part of. You know, if I could go back to the civil service and, and talk to either my younger self um, or indeed my colleagues uh, who are there now and, and running the show, you know, I'd want to talk to them about when you start a meeting, ask yourself the question, have I got the right people in the room? Yes. You know, ask yourself the question, if we're forming policy to meet the needs of citizens and, and society, shouldn't we have some of those people in the room? Absolutely. You know, too many meetings are full of civil servants who are self-serving. <laughs> they're not bad people. They're not wicked people. Mm. But they're, they're, they're narrow thinking. Yeah. There's almost a myopia that overtakes because it's all about getting through the performance of that meeting and meeting an objective that you've agreed yourselves what you're trying to do. Yes. Well, where is the voice from elsewhere? Where is the, where is the, the difference? You know, who was in the room when they came up with Windrush as a policy? Very, very good point. I asked myself this. I, I, I kind of know the answer. Yeah. There wasn't anybody that looked like you, Rachel, mm. in that room. There wasn't anybody that looked like me in that room. Yeah. And not that it's all about looks. I get it. You know, it's not all about hue or, or pigmentation <laughs> or, or melanin <laughs> comes to that. that. But it's, it is about cultural intelligence. Yes. And we need to pay attention to the, the, the gap. Uh, not, not the gap on the underground. We, we have to mind <laughs> that all the time. But the empathy gap. Yes. Can I empathise with you? Have I listened to you well enough to hear what you're saying? Yeah. You know, post-George Floyd, lots of conversations, even conversations that were brave enough to invite and, and welcome the black voices within the organisation. Lots of listening going on, mm. but not much hearing. Very true. And a lot of senior leaders, they conflate those two words. Yeah. They think listening is hearing. Mm. And they're ready to get, to get to grips with what needs to be done. Almost asking the very object, the very subject of their inquiry, to leave the room. Yes. That's not, you don't tell people who are impacted by what you're trying to do to leave the space. Yeah. They stay in the space. Yeah. They stay in the space. Yeah. Because if we're ever going to get better at policing all of our community, if we're ever going to get better at dispelling this, almost this culture of denial, it will take those voices to provide an essential part of the, the best way forward, an essential part of the solution. I love what Hamilton, the, there's a track in Hamilton, the musical. Have you seen it? Yes. Well, you know that track, the track that says, um, um, get me in the room where it happens. Get me in the room where those, click, boom. Yes, that's, that was very powerful. Oh, that's, The whole scene was powerful. Oh, I, I, I was on the edge of my seat the whole thing. Yeah. I got to the intermission, the inter 
where and I, my bum was sore because I realised. <laughs> no, seriously, this is you true. You hadn't moved the whole I, time. I was at the Victoria Palace watching it, and it was pre-COVID, and I I hadn't moved from when it started. Wow. I was transfixed. Yeah. And when it broke, I realised I had my back hadn't hit the back of the chair. Wow. I had sat on the edge of the chair for what is that first time? About hour and, hour and twenty minutes. Yeah. I couldn't move. I was just. I, I've seen it three times. I love that. I have, I've seen it three times. I Once on that. TV, but twice live. I just have to watch it again and again so that it really soaks in. It's quite. It's, Get there's me a in lot. The room. There's a lot in that that musical. I watched it um, online. Yeah. And was like, I need to go and actually physically go and see it. But it was so compelling. Yeah. But yeah, that that scene on every level. Yeah. The costume. Yes. The lyrics. Yes. The story itself, yeah. the music, <laughs> yeah. the lyric, the, the actual rock. Oh, it was just phenomenal. It was perfect. Mm. I think that's what I would uh, describe it as. You talk about a song or a flower. Yes, I think let's go to Hamilton. Hamilton. That maybe I didn't even think until I just reminded myself what the question was. That's what I'd point to. It's not. It's not perfect. There's tragedy. There's joy. There's sorrow. There's all sorts happening, and as is evidenced by us saying either in my case watching it again or wanting to watch it again yes there's always more to learn yes and i think that's the nature of inclusion yeah i love that um so thank you for answering that question mm. uh, but also thank you for joining Speaker. me today um you have given me a lot of food for thought um and i will definitely be sneaking into that event in what was it culturalq.com if you want to check it out online culturalq.com Amazing. Um, and is that where we can uh, find more about you? I'll definitely be in and around that site and you'll find me at included.com as well. But my own work is out of um, my own consultancy called yes. Crystal Alliance. That's Crystal with a K and it's crystalalliance.co.uk. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining Thanks me for today. Me. Um, and that has been our podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the MKD podcast. Uh, thank you to Rob Neal for joining us today. I hope that you've learned something new um, and something that you can share with your teams and with the leadership within the organization you work for. If you want to find out more about NKD, please go and log on to nkd.co.uk. We look forward to seeing you there.